0: You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is BaptistChurch.com. You know, I was thinking, uh, I was thinking a moment ago, Caleb, uh, talking about CJ. You know, those with small children don't realize that, you know, a thousand generations from now, if God should tarry his coming, the Lord tarries that we would hope and pray that the young men and women, the boys and girls that are growing up right now will live this out, live this on, pass this on. So to a thousand generations from now, you and I are firing at the enemy still with godly men and women coming behind us. No No greater legacy. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you love us. Lord, these songs have been such a rich worship. Lord, I know for people who watch live stream, and I've been there, I can stand up in the bedroom or in the living room and I can raise my hands and shout and at times even cry. Well, Lord, there's just something about being in the corporate gathering of people. And so Lord, we pray, dear Lord, that you wrap your arms around us wherever we may be. Pray, dear Lord, for that mom that may be sitting home with those children. Pray, dear Lord, for that little family that's still struggling to get out we ask you, dear Lord, to wrap your arms around them. Pray for that senior adult who still lives with the fear of COVID or is battled with it. We pray, dear Lord, that you'll wrap your arms around them even as they watch. Think about people like Mary Renfro, who's so faithful to watch online and always will send a message. So, Lord, we ask you to wrap your arms around us no matter where we may be. And we pray, dear Lord, that, and Lord, I ask you to cleanse me, forgive me. Lord, forgive me, cover me by the blood of the Lamb, dear Lord, for the things that, that may hinder your word today, what may have gone into my eyes or in my ears or come out of my mouth, dear Lord, whatever it may be. Cleanse us, Lord. Speak to our hearts. And we'll give you the glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 I'm going to ask you to remain standing. I want you to take your Bibles. And I've got in the... Uh, um, I'm not going to tell you to turn to Genesis 45 yet. I want us to go back to Joshua chapter 1 because I want to do a little bit of summary, a little bit of review. I've titled, of course, the series is called Changes. And we basically have said this, you and I go through times in our life that we're going through changes, transitions, uh, things are not the same. Right now in our nation this past week, uh, we changed leadership, administrative leadership, presidential leadership. And 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 in life, you can't go through life periodically without change somewhere along the way, affecting your life. Life can never, you know, there may be a good time or a good moment in your life and you're thinking to yourself, you know, if I could just hang on to this, if we could just stay here. But life is not like that, is it? You know, changes come. And I titled this message today, Scar or Scab. Scar or Scab. Uh, why we cannot move forward. Because a lot of times we can't change. We can't move forward because rather than having a scar, we've got a scab. And I don't know about you, but I don't know. When I was growing up, I couldn't keep my hand off a scab. I don't know if it is just the way kids are. But, you know, you look at that thing and it's dry and it dries up and you think to yourself, you know, that thing needs to come off. And I ain't got nothing else to do, so I might as well sit here in class, sit here in school, or sit here at home watching TV. But you begin to pull that scab off. Now, your mom, if she saw you doing that, what'd she tell you? Stop it. Leave it alone. Don't pick that scab off. Leave that scab on there. Because if you, don't, if you take it off, it could get infected. And, and, and so, you know, my, I could just hear my mom saying that. And, and so, you know, don't, don't pick at it. If you pick at it, the outcome is you're gonna have a fresh sore, uh, you're gonna be back in pain, and it's a possibility it could affect, infect your entire body. Let me ask you a question this morning before we read. Is that you? Could it, could it be that you cannot heal because there is a scar, no, there's not a scar, there is a scab and you endlessly pick at it or allow other people to pick at that scab. And I wrote this down, listen, are you just re-injuring in your life what God is trying to heal? Are you you re-injuring in your life what God is trying to heal in your life? And that was Joshua. Now in Joshua chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses my servant is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready, cross over the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river of the Euphrates, all the Hittite uh, country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all my law, my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it from the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Wow. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you and we love you. And we give you all the glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, real quickly, let's do a little short review. And first of all, we said this. We think it's kind of strange that God says to Joshua, Moses is dead. And I wrote this down, Moses is dead. Now, that's strange, but it's critical for Joshua, who had lived in the shadow of Moses, in the shadow of his charismatic personality moses was bigger than life and perhaps joshua had been scarred so three times god says to joshua joshua be strong and courageous joshua be strong and very courageous joshua be strong and courageous and you get the feeling that something had changed in joshua Had Moses caused Joshua to doubt his own abilities, to feel inadequate, to feel ill-equipped? This is not the same Joshua that we see 40 years ago spying out the promised land and who's standing against, he and Caleb, 38 uh, others and standing before an entire nation full of courage. Something has changed. Number two, had Moses' temper or Moses' personality affected Joshua. Had, you know, we said this last week. Moses had a problem with his anger. Moses had a problem with his temper. He got mad and killed an Egyptian. It takes a lot to kill another man. He got mad before Pharaoh and threw a fit in front of Pharaoh, and God said, I didn't call you to do that either. He got mad coming down off the mountain and threw the Ten Commandments down and busted them and and took what God had had written on and turned it into rubble. God said, I didn't tell you to do that. God told him to speak to the rock. He got mad, took took personal responsibility, and then struck the rock and did it twice. And God said, I didn't tell you to do that. Moses, let me tell you, because of your temper and because you can't manage it, you're not going to lead my people into the promised land. Now let me, I want everybody to listen. Had had Moses, had that element of his life, had Moses' personality over the 40 years changed Joshua. You get the feeling that God is like, here in chapter one, like a parent we said last week who's sitting down, looking at their first grader, getting ready to go into school and saying, you're gonna be all right. I'm gonna be all right. Now, if you need me, the teacher knows my number. She can call me. Now, I want you to go on. You go on now. You're gonna be all right. Don't cry, don't cry. I'm gonna be. It'll be like I'm just right there by your side. I'm gonna be there with you. Now, be strong, be strong. Look at me, be strong, be courageous. You be strong. You get this feeling with God trying to talk to Joshua and you think, what happened to Joshua? Had Moses happened to Joshua? Did God have to say to Joshua, Moses is dead? You have spent your life, and let me ask you this. Has somebody in your life, a parent, a spouse, an ex, a grown child, a friend, a boss? Has somebody affected you, shaped you, molded your personality into someone that you don't like and God never intended you to be? I think that was Joshua. You know, I remember walking down the hallway in college one day, I was walking down the college classroom. I'd come out of, I was, I'd come out of psychology, and I was walking down this hallway, I was running a little late getting to the next class and the professor that taught this psychology class, an adolescent psychology class, was a Methodist preacher as well, he had his PhD. And as I went by this office, I looked, and he was sitting there and he was counseling a girl that, was sit- that, you- that sat a couple seats behind me in that adolescent psychology class. And this girl was sitting there, she had long black hair, And she was sitting there with her head down and she was just crying. She was just weeping. I thought, man, that's, that's, that's strange. I wonder what's wrong with her. I stood there a minute and looked at her. I still see that picture in my mind, still see her there with her hair hanging down because she hid behind her hair. Even in class, she hid behind her class. She walked around sometimes with her head down her hair as if she were trying to hide from people. And I looked at her And I watched as this man was counseling with her and she was just crying. And I never thought when I looked in that window, Philip, I never thought that would be my wife. I never thought that in that college class, in that adolescent psychology class, whoever this girl was and what she was weeping about, Sarah, I had no idea, I had no idea, but I had no idea that one day she would be my wife, she would bring four children into the world, she would be the grandmother of 16 grandchildren, and she would travel the world with me. I had no idea. I had no idea what was going on in that room. All I knew was that professor, that Methodist preacher, was trying to rebuild somebody that had been broken and beat up in life. I found out she was a 19 year old widow. Let me ask you something, has God called you into the building, rebuilding the broken? Did you know that's part of what we do? We don't tear down people farther. That's not who we are. We are in the process of rebuilding the broken. Has God called you to rebuild the broken? Sir, has God, hey, Dad, has God called you to rebuild your wife who may be broken? Or, Dad, has God called you to rebuild the children that are going out into the world, into school systems among their peers, and they're getting beat up, busted up, broken up, and they come back home and they need you to kind of build them up again? Wife, has God called you to build up your husband? Single person as God brought people into your life that you have the ability to influence and rebuild and make them, encouraging them and building them up. That's who we're about. There's a painful question here, and I want you to listen. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to listen. Are you a Moses to somebody else? Now, I don't mean that in a good way. Let me ask you again, and I wrote this down. Are you a Moses to somebody else? For example, Moses' temper, as we said, had conditioned Joshua. I believe it had conditioned Joshua. And could that be you? Could the reality be right now that are you, listen to this now, and I want you to stay with me because this is critical. You do not need to be distracted right now. Could you be hurting, conditioning, shaping, forming those around you or somebody in your life that God did not intend you to do? He didn't want you to do that. Does that make sense? So you see, in our life, we have to say, you know, am I the Joshua? Joshua? Is my life been shaped and influenced by a parent who had high expectations or sibling rivalry and it seemed like my siblings always did better than I did? Or or I feel like in my my line of work, in my business, that there's an enormous amount of pressure on me to be somebody that I don't even like and I don't want to be. You know, ministers can be like that. Have you been conditioned, formed, and shaped? Is your personality the result of people who have hurt you, beat you up, and made you who you are, and you don't even like you? And if you had a long conversation with Jesus, Jesus would say, I never intended for you to be this way. You get the feeling that God is saying to Joshua, Joshua, look at me, Moses is dead. You've got to put that behind you. I've called you now to lead my people into the promised land. You've got to get over this hurt this woundedness that you feel. But I wrote this down, and maybe it's a side road here. Maybe you need to write this down yourself. How do we manage change? When we're faced with changes in our life, when we're faced with decisions that need to be made, and they may be critical, life-changing decisions that we need very careful counsel. Every parent looked this way. If you've got children, every decision that you make ultimately affects your children. Sheila and I, we were in Amerigo's the other night with Doug and Sandy Payne. We looked and there was a couple going in. It was, they went in and sat down and Sheila came. I'd already been seated. Sheila came and said, I think that's Jean and Dorothy Henderson. Jean Henderson pastored uh, first Baptist Church Brandon for four, for 20 years. He just finished a year and a half interim at First Baptist Startville. So Sheila and I went back over there and we, well first of all we went and sat down, we talked to him for a minute and then Doug and Sandy were not there yet. Sheila and I we were talking and we began to laugh and say Gene Henderson from First Baptist Brandon came because he's a Brilliant man, PhD, brilliant man. He came and taught at the seminary in Zimbabwe. And he was coming in from out in the bush and he was coming into the capital, Harori, and he came to our house and we invited him to stay and eat. Sheila fried chicken, which is, you know, she fried chicken, mashed potatoes, vegetables, cornbread, and iced tea. Gene Henderson thought, he hadn't eaten that in over a month, he thought he had died and gone to heaven. We, we started a friendship there that resulted in Jean and Dorothy becoming a part of our life. Dear, dear friends, and when I got sick, guess where I went to furlough? We went to First Baptist Brandon. We then lived in Brandon. Had that simple friendship, some decisions that we were making in that time of me being sick, had they not made the way they were made, then we wouldn't have the in-laws that we have, the grandchildren that we have, and we wouldn't be here today. Let me tell you, sometimes you and I face changes in our life. Let me give you some things to think about. You may want to write them down. Number one, if you're faced with a decision or the possibility of change, it may be educational, it may be career, it may be your job, it may be marriage, It may be in a relationship, whatever. It may be as a parent, you're struggling with a decision as to how to raise your children, whatever it may be. Number one, make sure the change you are about to make is God's will. Now you may say, well that seems real quick, uh, easy. How do I know that it's God's will? Look at me, everybody look this way. By systematically daily being in the Word of God if you are in God's Word and you are seeking to understand God's will about a decision in your life you can be rest assured listen the words will jump off the page you'll look at other people say you know I've never seen this before I never realized Jesus said this You see, sometimes we make changes that are outside God's will. If you're faced with a decision right now, you want to know that you know that you know that you know it's the will of God. How are you going to know that? By getting in the word of God, getting in prayer, intimate fellowship with God, and by listening to other believers. You're asking other believers, spiritually mature people, listen, this is what I'm facing. I don't know what to do, and I don't want to make a mistake here. What do you think? nothing wrong with that, mostly if they're walking in the Word. Number two, when you're faced with a decision or you're looking at the possibility of change in your life, number two, be patient and wait for a clear word from God, from Jesus, from the indwelling Holy Spirit. Listen, Joshua didn't do anything until God said, okay Joshua, it's your time, you're ready, Moses is dead, now it's time to move on with the program And lead my people into the promised land I'm going with you and Joshua I need you to be strong and courageous number two be patient wait for a clear word from God wait for the indwelling Holy Spirit Christ in you to make it clear now everybody look this way say amen if you're listening an open door is not always God's will let me say it again an open door is not always God's will. Just because a door is open doesn't mean God wants you to go through it. Listen, you may not like this. Some people have a theological problem with it, but it's true, and I can prove it. Satan can open doors for you just like God can. In Luke chapter 4, verse 6, 7, and 8, you know what he told Jesus in the temptation? He said, listen, The Bible said Satan showed them the kingdoms of the world. And then Satan looked at Jesus and said, if you'll bow down and worship me, it's all yours and I'll give it to you. And you know what he said to the creator in flesh? He said, and it's mine to give. Your enemy, Satan, can open doors. My friend, an open door is not always God's will. Be patient, wait on God. When I was sick in the UK, when I was in England and I was sick, I got a call from a church in Oklahoma. A friend of mine pastored this church. They ran over 1,000 in Sunday school. Hey, listen, when they had Roundup Sunday, hey, uh, uh, Teresa, you'd love this, you'd have been reporting this. When they had Roundup Sunday, over 1,000 people would come on horseback into the city to attend this church, a First Baptist church. Come, in. Man, hey, you would have loved it. Kevin, you'd have loved it. I mean horses everywhere. That's a lot of horse poop, isn't it? That's what you're thinking, is it? He's a horse man. But anyway, he called me and said, listen, come be my associate. If you'll come be my associate, listen to what he said. We have our own channel on cable. You can teach a Bible class every Sunday morning on cable. You can fill in for me because I'm on the executive board with the Southern Baptist Convention. There's a lot of Sundays. I'm not going to be there. And you can fill in for me. And man, we'll take care of you financially. We'll give you everything that you want. Just come to this church. And I began to pray about it, and I was sick. And he said, look, we'll take care of all that. And I began to pray about it. Sheila and I couldn't find a peace. And one day I read Oswald Chambers, my utmost Highest, and Oswald Chambers said these words, when in doubt, don't. I'm in England and my friend calls me from Oklahoma. He said, did you read Chambers this morning? Now we're six hours difference time. He said, did you read Chambers this morning? I said, I did. He said, Jeff, this is not God's will, is it? I said, no, it's not. I said, Steve, thank you. I appreciate the open door. It would be a great opportunity, but this is not God's will for my life and I have to tell you no. just because a door is open doesn't mean it's god's will number three often we're not happy in a situation you know sometimes we're not happy in a relationship we're not happy in a job we're not happy in certain circumstances and so we decide we're going to change it ourselves listen that's what you don't want to do wait on god you say, but you don't know what I'm living in. You don't know where I work. You don't know what I'm dealing with. My friend, the worst thing for you to do is do what old people used to say, is jump out of the frying pan into the what? You ever met somebody that jumped out of the frying pan into the fire? You ever seen that? Man, that's, I tell you what, that's bad. So you, you may not be happy in a situation you're in, but I can tell you one thing. You could be in a worse situation if you take it upon yourself to change and make... And, do what you think may make it better. I hope that makes sense. I wrote this quote down. Sometimes we need to give God time to change our circumstances. And sometimes God is not changing our circumstances. God is changing what? Changing our heart, who we are. Right? You know, see, some of you don't like this, man. Ooh, I really wanted to make that decision. I really wanted to buy that car. I wanted to get that truck. And I just feel like, man, Brother Jeff's just saying what I already feel in my heart. Ooh, I just hate that. Number four, hear me, get counsel from those who know the Lord. Get counsel from those who know the Lord and are responsible for your spiritual development. Look this way, everybody. There are some changes, some decisions, some things in your life you need to come to my office and you need to sit down and say, Brother Jeff, this is what I'm facing. I'm your pastor, the overseer, the under shepherd, the bishop. The Bible says that, that I'm responsible to give an account for your soul, and the Bible says one day I want to be able to stand in heaven and do it with joy. You're making a decision you never even bothered to ask me. Mostly, if it's a life changing decision that may affect you, may affect your family. Hey, listen, you may say, but I feel like you're gonna you're not you're gonna tell me uh, I feel like you're gonna tell me something that uh, you want for me. You know what I tell people a lot of times? If if you came up and said, well, we're thinking about leaving the church and moving to uh, uh, Nashville. Uh, What do you think? Do you think I ought to keep my job and stay here? Yeah, I want you to stay here. You know, I I do, I, I will. I'll sometimes say, listen, selfishly, I want you to stay. But more than that, I want you in the center of God's will for your life. And then I begin to walk with you through that decision, whatever it is. Listen, everybody listen to me. Going to Facebook, going to Facebook to get your spiritual counsel and guidance and direction is a mistake. People on Facebook who are these spiritual gurus now that we seem to have, I wrote this down, they are uncalled They are unqualified, and worse, they're unaccountable because they're not plugged into a local church. The reason they're not plugged into a local church and the reason they don't go to church has nothing to do with the pandemic and has nothing to do with their situation. They have rebelled against every single authority that's tried to come into their life. And those are the people you don't need to go to. What time is it? Uh, Jeffrey got me this really nice, fancy watch, and I said, I'm going to wear it every Sunday to church, and I forgot it. But we're getting close to time. Let me me say a couple of things, and then we'll close in a moment. Jeffrey, I'm not quite ready yet, because he'll be running down here. The reason some of us can never change and move on with our life and be everything that God intends us to be, we said it in the beginning. We've got a scab. We've got a hurt. We've got something that happened to us and we constantly find ourselves picking at it. We allow other people to pick at it and ultimately we never heal and because we never heal, we can never move on. God said to Joshua, Joshua, Moses is dead. It's time to move on with your life. It's not about Moses. He's dead. I buried him. God's saying to Joshua, Joshua, you're, you're now the leader, and I've got, I, I want you to be what I intended you to be 40 years ago. It's not about Moses anymore. But let me, let me, let me say this. The reason a lot of us can never move forward and move on is we've never processed our hurt. Let me leave you with something. Turn back to the left and look at Genesis. Go back to Genesis 45. In Genesis 45, beginning at verse one, I want you to look at this and we'll close in a moment because this this may be where you are. In Genesis chapter 45, beginning at verse one, listen to this. And everybody look, everybody We all know the story, right? We all know the story. Jacob had all these sons from four different women. And Rachel, the one he loved and the one he intended to marry, she had two. She had Joseph and Benjamin. Now when Joseph was a young man, Jacob loved him. Jacob gave him the coat of many colors. He called sibling rivalry. His brothers hated him. And eventually what his brothers do, guess what they do? They get so angry, they they throw him in a pit, sell him to Ishmaelite slave traders, and he finds himself down in Egypt. In Egypt, he goes through hell. He's a slave to Potiphar. He's accused of Potiphar's wife of of, of sexual misconduct. He's innocent. He, He ends up in prison. He goes through all of this, and then finally there comes a day when Pharaoh has a dream, and Joseph is brought in. Joseph interprets that dream, and he is second only to Pharaoh. Now, there's a famine in Israel, and so Jacob sends his boys down to Egypt to get food, and they run into their brother. And their brother puts them through it, Joseph. He is second only to Pharaoh, and he puts his brothers who've come from Israel, he puts them through the ringer. He rips them apart. He sets them up, and then finally he confronts them. And listen to what he says now, and we'll close in a moment. Listen to this. In Genesis 45, beginning at verse 1, then Joseph, who could no longer control himself, his brothers don't know who he is, they're in his home, they're eating, they're fellowshipping with him, but they don't know it's Joseph. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Now look at this, watch this. Joseph said to his brothers, who, guess what? When they sold him to the Ishmaelite slave traders, you know what they did? They killed the lamb, took the coat of many colors, put blood on it, carried it back to Jacob and said, I guess he got killed. I mean, these guys are wicked. Here's Joseph, now a grown man. He's lived in Egypt for years. He's now second in command. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Now watch this. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives. Look at this, underline it, dog ear the page, that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. For the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. Verse seven, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Everybody listen closely. Sometimes you and I can't be, we can't move forward. We are stuck in our hurt. Silas, my little grandson, turns eight today. Happy birthday, Silas. But when Silas was little, you would pick him up, and if you held him, he would do like this. He'd say, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. And I would say, Silas, I just want to kiss on you and hug on you and love on you. And all he would say is, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. And let me tell you, that's a problem in this room, and that's a problem for some watching by way of our website, live stream. You're stuck. You can't move on. Somebody hurt you in the past, something went wrong in your life, and you got stuck there, and you just simply can't let go of it. And you know what you do all the time? You just pick at the the scab. That's all you do. Now, I've got to stop here. But what's the key? I got genuinely hurt. How do I move on? when you begin to see your hurt just like Joseph saw it. You know how Joseph saw his hurt? He saw a sovereign God in control of his whole situation. And you know what he says to his brothers, the people had done all these criminal acts against him, he said, you meant it for harm. You meant it for my, you meant it, You did it out of anger. But God was behind it all. God was orchestrating. God was working all this out for his glory and to save your life, so don't be mad at yourself. How do you move beyond, listen, You move beyond your hurt and your pain, your sorrow, and you begin to look at change coming into your life, and you begin to move on with your life when you begin to say, listen, it may not have all been God's will, but I know this, God had his omniscient knowledge, he was sovereign, he knew what would happen, and God still has a future for my life, and I've got to let go, and I've got to quit picking at this scab. Listen, let me close with this. I grew up in a tough home in a lot of ways. The home I grew up in, my mom had psychiatric issues. People that know me know that, I've shared that. My mom even at one time was in an institution, a state hospital, when I was a little boy. When I started working on my doctorate at Reformed, I was in a class one day of counselors, counseling. The man who was president of one of our seminaries in this country also had written the book, the textbook, He was leading the class. We had two psychiatrists, one psychologist, and the hostage negotiator for the state of Pennsylvania. We had four professors in their teaching, PhDs. At a certain point, you had to be the student that got on the hot seat. In other words, you were the one they were gonna practice on. So here I am on the hot seat. And they're trying to practice some of the principles but they're not doing very good. So the professor, the guy who wrote the textbook, he takes over because he can tell, unlike a lot of the students, something's big, something's wrong with me. And so he takes over and he begins to guide the conversation, guiding it, guiding it. At a certain point, I'll never forget it. At a certain point, I was sitting in a chair right there in the middle of this big circle of all these guys getting their doctorate and all these PhDs, and I'm sitting there And he looks at the students and he said, how do we know that we've gotten to his heart? We've gotten to the problem, the real problem of his life. How do we know that? And that student's sitting there looking, they didn't have no idea. And then finally he smiled, he looked at me, he said, Jeff, and he just had a love for him. He gave me the highest grade he had ever given any student in his entire time of teaching. He said, Jeff, how do we know? He said. Uh, he said, Jeff, let me. And he's te- te- teaching the students. He said, uh, Let me ask you a question. I'm sitting there like this in the hot seat. He said, uh, Jeff, he said, Have you ever not shaked your leg? Have you ever not been kind of moving? You, you see those kind of people? They're always moving. And I looked down and I, was, and I realized I was just absolutely just dead weight in that chair. There was a silence and a peace that had come over me. I wasn't shaking my leg, my foot, I wasn't moving. I was perfectly calm and I just began to cry. Just sitting there in front of those students, I just wept and cried. And he went on to talk about my relationship with my mom and that's what he had talked about and as he unfolded that, as he began to get to the heart of my problem, There a peace came over me and a calmness. I went to my mom after that, just me and her one day. I sat down with my mom and I said, Mom, what happened? My mom had been abused as a little girl growing up. My mom had her own baggage. My mom had been hurt. My mom wept and cried her little knobby hands arthritic drawn hands took my hands and she said son I'm sorry I love you." healing I didn't have to pick the scab off anymore is there a scar yes but the scar is just a picture of the healing power of Jesus Christ when he brings real healing let me ask you something I want to ask you again is there a Moses in your life is there a parent Is there a sibling? Is there a boss? Is there somebody in your life who has hurt you and conditioned you and made you somebody that you don't even like yourself? And God wants you to heal. I love The Chosen. I love The Chosen, the series. I don't know if you've seen it. Mary Magdala, who's possessed by these demons. And there's a scene where she goes into this old New Testament bar. She's getting ready to get a drink. And all of a sudden, their hand reaches over and goes over her hand and says, you don't need that. And it's Jesus. Because that's how she lived her life, escaping. That's the homeless. Most of them are escaping their wounds. That's what's happened to them. He said, you don't need that. And she looks at him and all of a sudden, she goes, oh. And she gets up and leaves and she's going out. And as she's walking down this little corridor, all of a sudden, Jesus comes behind her, he says, Mary, Mary Magdala, and she stops and she drops the vessel, the drink, and then he says, I love you, I've known you, i called you, i redeemed you, you're mine, and he touches her head with his hands, and she cries, she's healed. Let's, let me pray, stand, let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, Lord, and for some in this room, some who may be watching by live stream. There's hurt, there's woundedness. Some of those, dear Lord, that are even on Facebook that constantly seem almost mean-spirited and some of this counsel that they're giving and some of this judgmental attitude, some of this stuff, dear Lord, comes out of a deep, deep hurt. Or there's some that are listening right now, they've been hurt, they've been wounded. Somebody was like a Moses in their life. They lived their life maybe as a child, tiptoeing around anger, around emotions, whatever they may be. Some may be here today. They were in abusive marriage, abusive relationship. I remember a time when a woman came with her two children, big sunglasses on her face. When she came into our home there at the pastor's home, she sat down. She began to cry with us, two small children, little girls, She cried and then she took those sunglasses off because Sheila said, take your glasses off. And her eye was blood red, black. She had been beaten. Sheila said she even had a stab wound on her leg. Sometimes hurt is not like that. Sometimes hurt is in the soul. Sometimes hurt is in the personality and it's made us Somebody that we don't even like. Sometimes we look and don't even like ourselves. Sometimes we need to be healed. So God, I pray, dear Lord, today for those that may be hurting. They need to find healing, and it would come through Jesus Christ. I pray right now in the power of your indwelling Holy Spirit, your presence that right now for whoever that person may be, there may be somebody right now sitting in their living room in tears because they are wounded and they're broken and they've been hurt and they just simply can't move on. They can't be the parent God's called them to be. They can't be the wife or the husband God's called them, them to be. They can't be the grandmother. They can't be the, the employee. They can't They can't live their life. They can't move on. But God, I pray right now that you wrap your arms around them and they would be set free. And that they would smile and say, there was a sovereign God that was protecting me even when I could not protect myself. A dear counselor friend, one time counseling me years ago, smiled and laughed and looked at me and said, Jeff, don't you see how many neighbors, how many people were always around you? Maybe they were like angels that we're bringing you to this moment of healing. So I pray, dear Lord, and I pray, dear Lord, if there's someone here, there's someone listening that has never repented of their sin, they've never put their faith and their trust in you, I pray, dear Lord, today that, God, you will speak to their heart, they will open up their heart, they'll say, Lord Jesus, come in, come into my heart, come into my brokenness. Lord, save me right now. Let me be your child. Let me be born again. God, begin to bring the healing from the inside out. God, heal me of this anger, this bitterness, this hurt. Set me free. Lord, we love you. And if there's one here that needs to rededicate, recommit that life, if there's one here that needs to come forward and say, I want to be a part of this church, whatever that decision may be, I pray they make it today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen, you come, you come. Ledge will be here, Russell's here.